Good Sunday evening, everybody. Welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Eric Hayne. That is Brent Hubs. We're going to be joined by some special guests. Most importantly, thank you for being here every Sunday night, 8 o'clock until 9 o'clock uh, Eastern time here on the VolQuest YouTube channel. When we kind of look back at the game that was, and Brent Hubs, a lot of looking forward this week as well. Rivalry week. Rivalry week. I continue to fumble that. Going to be in the swamp, Florida. It's going to be a big week at VolQuest.com. Yeah, no doubt. Lots of uh, lots of intrigue, lots of storylines. Uh, there would have been lots of storylines if Tennessee had won 63-3 to yesterday, like I thought, or lots of storylines um, with Tennessee winning the way that they won. It, it, it doesn't matter. That game is in the past. It's all about Tennessee and, and Florida now. We'll certainly talk about that game because it's got a lot of carryover, as somebody texted me a little bit ago. Going to make the drive to Gainesville a little more nerve-wracking than I thought it was going to be. Uh, coming back from Nashville last week, but um, certainly you know this this game carries a lot of weight. Uh, two programs um, that are uh, have gone at it for a long time. They're in kind of different places right now. I don't think Florida knows exactly where they are, or kind of what their footing is. Tennessee's got an identity. They've just got to play up to their identity mm-hmm. better than they did um, on Saturday against Austin P. But uh, We'll see. Should be a fun week. Should be a lot of discussion. Should be a lot of uh, questions, some gnashing of the teeth, all those things that, that take place when uh, you talk about Tennessee and Florida getting ready to go. We're going to have a big show uh, coming up. Of course, we're going to look back and we're going to talk about Tennessee and Austin P. the good, uh, the bad, the ugly, what's got to change, all that type of stuff. We're going to have uh, Gators Online correspondent Nick Delator. He's going to come on at 815 and then we're going to have Andy Staples on to end the show at about 8.40, so a big show coming up. And, of course, couldn't do this without our friend Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Uh, they are the presenting sponsors of the Rocky Top Rewind each and every Sunday night. Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you, T. and Trial Lawyers. A free consultation today at 423-245-4185. Again, 423-245-4185 for a free consultation at Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Uh, dot com. All right, so Brent, you and I both went back and watched it. We've both written columns. Um, pretty much what we said after the game on Saturday, it was sloppy. Offense was not in rhythm. The passing game was not great. Quarterback wasn't great. Receivers weren't great. The protection at times wasn't great. Uh, Tennessee able to run the football well and efficiently. Tennessee played pretty, pretty solid defense and did some things. There's some things you like on that side of the football, but a lot of things to correct on the offensive end, and certainly it starts with the quarterback and those receivers. Well, and, and you know, coaches always say this, and sometimes I think it's kind of a, you know, it's a co- little bit of a cop-out answer when you see a, you see a, a receiver and a, and a quarterback, you know, going the wrong direction or throwing it where somebody's not or whatever, and the coach is like, well, it takes all 11 guys to make it work on offense and this, that, and the other. You go back and rewatch the first two or three drives of this game, it literally is about, all 11 guys getting it done at the same time because there were literally plays where guys were open, Joe Milton missed them. Guys were open, Joe Milton hit them, and they dropped the ball. There were plays where they wanted to do things. They didn't get a chance to do them because the protection wasn't good enough. Um, So there should be criticism all around for the passing game where it's at right now. Joe Milton needs to play better. I think that's a given. This receiving core has got to help him more than they helped him on Saturday. Um, and Austin P gave the offensive line some difficulties with some of the different looks that they gave. Um, and, and Tennessee's got to clean up some communication things up front. I, I don't think it was necessarily physically whipped. I mean, a couple of times there were, you could see that on tape, Eric, but it looked like that the offensive line 
what was maybe not passing off some stuff the right way. Didn't always pick up everything where they needed to be there. There needs to be a little better communication up front with some of their pass protection stuff based on what I saw in rewatch. We'll see what the coaches have to say. Um, but it was just a hodgepodge of ugly in the passing game to start the football game, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really know how else to say it. I know we all want to – everybody wants to lay it at somebody's feet, whoever that might be. The reality is I think it could be put in a lot of people's feet. Um, they just didn't play very well. No, they didn't. And uh, I put it in the, the big three over at VolQuest.com uh, this afternoon. You know, quarterback again wasn't great. Receivers did not help him. There were three drops th- or four big-time drops in this football game when – your quarterback is already struggling to be accurate with the football. Um, it was it was a little all over the place. You mentioned the protection. It was good to kind of see Austin P do some things and try to mix some things up and, and, and get that on tape for Tennessee to, to work through heading to Florida because you know that's going to be a situation down in the swamp where they're going to bring pretty much everything at you. So I thought that was good. But um, anyway, able to run the football, and, and Jalen Wright is easily Tennessee's best weapon on offense right now. Another really, really solid game. Uh, we'll get to some of your questions, and of course, you know, we'll talk to Gators Online, Nick Delator coming up in about 10 minutes, Andy Staples there to end the show. Uh, always appreciate you guys and your super chats. We'll go to Donovan first. I think everyone needs to just relax, says Donovan. Uh, yes, the first two games have been a struggle on offense, but the defense looks improved, which is good to see. I trust Heupel and believe that they're going to get it going. Vols 35, Florida 14. Go Vols. Yeah, Donovan, uh, you know, there's a lot to to trust with Josh Heupel. You've seen the last two years and see things figure out. We like to reference the Pittsburgh game last year about how this team got a whole lot better in the weeks that preceded the Pittsburgh game. Um, it's going to be a tough environment down there. I know if Tennessee goes in offensively playing the way that it did against Austin P, you're not going to win that game against Florida. But Brent, we know this offense is much, it's capable of much better. They just got to take it from the practice field and put it put it on the game field. Yeah, there's no doubt, and, and and I think that includes everybody. Um, you, you know, I'm seeing a lot of things in the comments about, you know, receivers, is this group overrated? Is, is, does Joe need to back off? Is he throwing too hard? All, all those types of things. Uh, you know, they, they've got a they, – I think they're a pretty decent practicing team. They've just not taken it to the field, and I don't think they've been bullied by anybody on defense, Eric. I, I don't think it's where somebody's muscled them up. Um, I just think that they have not played very well to start football games, and I thought it compounded itself yesterday. Um, you know, Joe's talked in the offseason about putting a bad play behind you and moving on. Uh, they got a, got a bad start and really never got out of the funk, you know, in terms of some of that vertical passing stuff. So they went away from that and did what the what they could do, throwing it sideways and, and did enough to, to win the football game. Um, but it's got to be better than that. That's not a that's just not enough. And you know, the one thing about Pittsburgh last year, that was a bad day for Tennessee's offense. They didn't play very well. They weren't overtime. Mm-hmm. But you had more tangible kind of proof of what you were offensively taking that game out because of what they had done the end the previous season, what what Hendon Hooker had done and Cedric Tillman had done. You're like, okay, this is going to be okay because they've all kind of proven themselves. You know, you look at this team. I mean, Brew McCoy is their best receiver. I think they got to get him the football. you got to target him more. Yeah. Um. If you'd have told me Dante Thornton would have been a non-factor the first two games, I wouldn't have believed that given all the hype that was around Dante Thornton. You and me both. I don't know what's going on with Dante Thornton right now. Um, Ramel Keaton's got off to a tough start. I mean, he's dropped a ball. He had a fumble in this game. Um, you know, so there's just a lot of guys got to play better and, and step up and, and perform better in, in the passing game because I just don't know that you can throw it side to side all the time and, and, and win. 
You know, the one thing I do love about Tennessee fans is, and, and, and I think I have the same feeling and have had it the whole off season, Eric, it's they're going to be all right because Josh Heupel can always get somebody open. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. They're open. They're just not executing it. It's, I mean, there's nothing Josh Heupel's doing different. I mean, they've got to get, they've just got to go complete it on the field because he's getting everybody open. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. How many of those plays yesterday where guys were open, where they either dropped the ball or Joe missed them, and it wasn't like there was blanket coverage there. Uh, I will say this for Joe. I thought his decision-making was good, Eric. When I watched it, I didn't think he put the ball in harm's way. He just didn't throw it as accurate as he needed to, and guys didn't help him out as much as they needed to. Yeah, again, I'm not going to act like I'm a quarterback coach or anything like that. I thought in the Virginia game, there was that one series we referenced where he made a couple of bad decisions, and it was kind of you know play after play after play. But for the most part – you know, he was pretty accurate with the football, and he made the right decisions. I think he made the right decisions against Austin P. And his balls were were, were there; they they just weren't where they needed to be. And so, uh, sure, could, could, could McCallum Castles or Brew McCoy or uh, Dante Thornton, you know, uh, bring one of those in? And, and, and well, Dante Thornton's was a drop. Okay, I'm not even going to have him in this conversation. Can they rule some of those in to help your struggling quarterback out? I think that's what you want, uh, but that just wasn't the case yesterday. So, you know, moving forward. You've seen Joe in the, in the Orange Bowl and, and, of course, against Virginia throw a more accurate football. And that's all you heard over the offseason. Kind of saw the old Joe in terms of the inaccuracies a little bit yesterday and hope that that's something you can leave behind. Uh, let's get to Donovan, uh, another one here from Donovan real quick. Then we're going to get to uh, to Nick here in just a couple of minutes. Again, appreciate the Super Chats. Jackson Ross needs to pump with his left foot, and he does a whole lot better. Dylan Sampson always needs to have at least 10 carries. He only got four yesterday. The SEC is down. As I've seen it, the ACC is 4-1 against the SEC. Go Vols. Jackson Ross had a nice bounce-back day. His first punt, a little wobbly, 30 yards, had 49-yard punt, 47-yard punt, 45-yard punt, two inside the 20. Thought he got better, Brent. And Jabari Small had a good game, but I think we can all agree Dylan Sampson does need to be more uh, a part of the offense like he was against Virginia. Well, I mean, I think when you get into games like you're going to get into Saturday, I think it's going to be probably more Jalen Wright than it is going to be anything else because he's playing the best of anybody. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, that you know, I, I'm surprised Dylan Sampson didn't get more carries than he got, but um, that's the way they go when, you know, they play that hot hand or whatever the case may be, and they felt like that um, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small were the two best guys yesterday. Um, I think Dylan Sampson can help him with things. I like to see Dylan Sampson out on the perimeter more uh, and continue to get him out there and get him involved in that. You know, they kind of – um, they had him involved in the passing game in week one, and he wasn't much of a factor th- this week for whatever. It is kind of interesting on Jackson Ross. His The, the two punts that's kind of settled him down have been left-footed punts. Yep. I don't know if why that's the case. I will say this. He had a nice bounce back right-footed and left-footed yesterday, and I thought their operation was better. I thought he was in better time kicking the ball. Um, it didn't feel helter-skelter with him. It looked a, a much more – in the flow of what it should be. So that was a nice bounce back for him. Should give him some confidence uh, going into Florida. As, as for the SEC in general, I, I can't disagree with him. I mean, Georgia hasn't played anybody yet, but they're the most talented team out there. Um, but, you know, Alabama didn't get it done at home. Mississippi State doesn't get it done on the road. Auburn should have lost on the road last night. South Carolina loses to North Carolina week one, struggled. Um you know, in, in week two with Furman for a while. Um, there's nothing that says that the SEC is playing great football right now. And I think the biggest deal is you just got a bunch of brand-new quarterbacks in this league, right? And, and you just don't know. I mean, 
even some of the experienced guys are playing in new systems. Everybody was all gaga over Leary coming into Kentucky. Yeah. They're going through the struggles of playing in a new system right now. Tennessee's got Joe Milton, who's as experienced as anybody, but he, he not played particularly well. Alabama's breaking in a new quarterback. Florida's breaking in a transfer quarterback. Auburn's got a new quarterback. You got a lot of quarter youth in the quarterback and new in the quarterback position compared to years past. And I think that's caused some problems. And then, Andy Staples uh, and I were having a conversation earlier, and we may get into this a little bit in our conversation later tonight. I, I'm not sure the offensive lines in this league have been what they have been either. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, particularly on the edges with the tackle play. Um, so that could be a good thing for Tennessee, Eric, because I think Tennessee's pretty good coming off the edge on defense right now. Yeah, they've shown it through two games, that's for sure. Getting back there, talking about some of the things we saw against Virginia that we wanted to see against Austin P. guys like James Pierce. Amari Thomas, you know, Omar Norman Lott, they all showed up against Austin P. Maybe not great as, as high, but they all showed up again for the second straight week, so that is good uh, to hear and good to see. Hey, we'll talk Florida. We'll get a preview from our correspondents down in Gators Online, our co-workers Nick Adelatore. That's coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. But, hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to our friends Spivey King and Spivey LLP, presenting sponsor of the Rocky Top Rewind. Three partners, Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, and Richard A. Spivey. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That's TN Trial Lawyers. They specialize in criminal defense, family law, personal injury. Some examples of that could be DUI, homicide, assault, and um, you know, divorce, custody, alimony, stuff like that, parental rights. Over 80 years of combined experience, Spivey King and Spivey LLP provides representation throughout the state and federal courts of Northeast Tennessee. The firm has a vast amount of trial experience uh, and they're practiced and energized and ready to go for today's legal modern demands. 43 years. This practice has been in place for 43 years. This partnership specifically since 2012. Uh, firms won multiple awards as well, and they're ready to get it done for you. Whether you're injured in a car accident, need a divorce, help with custody of your children, or have been accused of a crime, Spivey King and Spivey LLP is here to help you, and they are ready for your free consultation by picking up the phone. Give them a call today. That is at 423-245-4185. Again, a free consultation by picking up the phone today at 423-245-4185, or you can always visit Spivey King and Spivey LLP online at SpiveyKingAndSpiveyLLP.com. More of the Rocky Top Rewind coming up next. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Eric Kane. He is Brent Hubbs. Every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, live on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Tennessee is 2-0. Now squaring off against Florida this week in the Swamp, at the Swamp. And uh, to come on and tell us more about the Florida Gators from Gators Online, Nick Delatore. Nick, thanks so much for joining us, man. How's, how's your weekend going? Weekend's going well. Um, didn't have to cover another loss. I've covered a lot of those uh, in, in my 11 years covering Florida. Um, you know, the mighty Cowboys of McNeese really put up a fight. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's it's a, a win that, you know, Florida needed just to feel good about themselves. Um, had lost four in a row. So um, dealing with a happier fan base this weekend. And this is uh, a, a rivalry week that I've always liked and looked forward to. Um, so Excited to talk more football. I think we just recapped the Utah loss all last week, and then Saturday showed up and said, like, oh, there's a football game today. Well, Nick, did you did you maybe learn anything more about Florida? I know it's a game you're supposed to win. Mm -hmm. you know, same with Tennessee and Austin P. and that was yeah. a little bit more interesting than what Tennessee fans would like. But did you kind of learn any more about Florida in week two, or is it just one of those path of stats, do feel better about yourself, and then mm -hmm. kind of see where you are against Tennessee this week? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I covered a overtime game uh, with Florida and FAU. So I've seen how ugly, you know, these winnable games can get. Um, for, for me, though, it was Florida in the first game, Graham Mertz threw 44 times. That's not uh, the formula to get the correct equation for wins in Gainesville. So I think Florida going back, listen, it's you know a defensive line that had one 300-pounder uh, and probably a bunch of SEC linebackers playing defensive tackle and defensive end. Uh, for McNeese. So, yeah, you can just play hat on the hat and run the ball. And I think that's what Florida needed to do. But they need to get some confidence. Florida's, uh, Florida had six procedural issues. I need them to see them play clean football against McNeese. They did that for the most part. Other than the offense fumbling late in their own, uh, backed up in their own end, Florida was really going to pitch a shutout. I thought that was going to be good for the defense. Um, the biggest thing I've seen for Florida, and it showed its head last year in Knoxville, was tackling. Uh, Florida couldn't get Hendon Hooker down. Um, I think Jordan Travis is still running in Tallahassee against Florida. He looked like he was covered in Vaseline the way Florida was trying to tackle him. And it's so hard in the offseason. You guys are out at practice um, that you don't tackle anymore in practice. And you yeah. can roll those foam donuts for 12 hours a day. That's not the same as trying to tackle a 220-pound running back or – uh, a shifty receiver in space. So I think Florida has nine missed tackles or eight missed tackles through two games, uh, which is probably a quarter of football, uh, what they did last year. So that's been a, a thing for me when you look at new uh, offensive court or defensive coordinator, Austin Armstrong coming in is Florida's playing more sound technically on defense. And that's been a big thing for me through the first two games. You know, Nick, when you look at this defense, how important was, was week two, just for the operation standpoint and, and, and not, and it becoming second nature, not thinking so much out there. I know they gave it the big mm -hmm. play to open the Utah game, but they kind of settled in yeah. pretty well in that game uh, otherwise and gave themselves a chance. How important was it then for them just to get another game under their belt in a new system? Yeah, really important. Um, you know, Billy Napier all off season said, Hey, it's not just year two for the players. It's year two for the coaches. Well, it's, it's only game two for Austin Armstrong and the guys on that side of the ball. The interesting thing for me is Florida rotates so much on defense. And I think that's really been their strength. Last year, Gervon Dexter, who was a second round pick played 687 snaps. Florida just didn't have depth. And, and those big guys on the, on the defensive line, uh, Chris Rumpf told me one time when, they have one gas tank, and when their gas tank is empty, there's no refilling it at halftime or in the third quarter. When they're tired, they're tired. Um, that's a big question I have this week. Uh, Josh Heupel's Formula One offense doesn't give you time to, to rotate guys in and out, so that'll be a big thing for me. Can Florida use its depth on defense, or will they have to have guys playing You know, eight plays on a drive in a row, nine plays in a row? So I think Florida's settled into Austin Armstrong's defense. It's not a ton different. Um, one concern, one issue they've had is getting to the quarterback. Uh, no sacks on the road at Utah, only two against uh, McNeese. McNeese didn't throw the ball a ton, um, but you would have expected to get more pressure on the quarterback against an overmatched opponent in McNeese. The run game, the, the run game was such a struggle at, at Utah. Did they fix anything or was it just a matter of who they were playing? I, I know I read in your in your five thoughts that you know 100 almost 120 yards in the first quarter you know on for kind of a record day in the run game what did they find some things and really clean up some stuff or was it just what you were saying earlier they just overpowered a team that even if they had not prepared much in the run game they could have lined up and done that against them 
it was an incredible job of fixing the schedule um, uh, and, and, fi and fixing the opponent. I still have uh, big concerns with Florida. Um, you know, no push, um, no lanes, no holes against Utah. Um, it, it, and listen, Utah's got a very experienced and some big defensive linemen, a great front seven. I think we'll see that as the season plays out. Um, but so does Tennessee. So does Georgia. So does LSU. Uh, you're going to face those. And um, I don't know that you can take much away from McNeese other than Florida finally got to feel good about itself. Um, hadn't been able to celebrate in the locker room. Uh, so maybe you build some confidence. You know, if you had a, a 30 to 20 win uh, against McNeese state, maybe you don't feel as good as you do right now. If you're the Gators, um, I don't take a lot. There's not really anything I hang my hat on. Um, you, no one in no one on Florida's team and no one, none of the Florida's coaches schedule McNeese. But when you play teams that you're supposed to beat, you need to beat them the way you're supposed to beat them. So that's really all I can take away uh, from the way Florida played McNeese. You know, Nick, we've talked about week two takeaways and talked about this defense kind of settling in with the new defensive coordinator. Look at this offense. We know all about the new quarterback and what he's trying to replace in Anthony Richardson. It, it feels like the run game you feel good about with your two options there with ETN and, and Johnson Jr. Uh, behind Ricky, um, you know, Parasol Jr., there's not a whole lot of proven guys at the skill yeah. position. Who are some of these guys that are going to be coming along to kind of try to fill those voids? Well, one that everyone's excited about is uh, Eugene Wilson, the third. His dad played in the NFL. Uh, they call him Trey because he's the third. Um, I, listen, I'm not going to go full Urban Meyer here and, and call no. him the next Percy Harvin. Um, but I, I'll, he's like a middle class Percy Harvin. Um, he lives in the suburbs. He has a nice SUV. Um, he goes to <laughs> Starbucks every day. This is a really exciting player. Where's number three? Um, not not a big guy, 5'10", maybe a buck 80, but electric. Uh, gets to his top end speed really quickly. Um, he's a guy. And I think when you look at the wide receiver room, you only had Pearsall coming back. Florida had a great uh, freshman class with Andy Jean, Aiden Mizell, who's a track star, um, and then and then Wilson as well. So there's opportunity. And I think you're already seeing Trey Wilson got the start last week. Um, he's really Florida, in my opinion, the only other guy that Florida can go to um, that you try to get speed and space and he can make guys miss. So Florida's identity, make no mistake about it, is going to be to run the football. Graham Mertz is a fine quarterback. Um, the game manager is a dirty word, but it probably shouldn't be. He's a game man. I mean, listen, there's some Alabama quarterbacks that were game managers that uh, don't have enough room on their fingers for, for all the rings <laughs> they have. So game, he's fine. He's not going to go out and win you games. I think the formula to beat Florida you saw against Utah. If you can stop the run and make Graham Mertz beat you, I don't know that Florida has the pieces around Graham for him to facilitate that. So I think the the, the blueprint on beating Florida is out. You can thank Utah for that. Um, but Florida's going to have to continue developing more guys. You can't just have, you know, if the running backs are down, you, you, you can't win games with just Ricky Pearsall, Graham Mertz, um, and, and Eugene Wilson. When when you look at the big picture, you mentioned Billy Napier reminding everybody, "Hey, it's you know we're in year two, we're still building this thing. We live in a world with zero patience." How big of a game is this? Do you think for Billy Napier with the fan base? Um, and I'm not saying he's going to get fired. Okay, I'm not suggesting that or implying mm -hmm. that. But just from a PR standpoint and 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 kind of a popularity standpoint, how big of a game is this for Billy Napier early in year two? Well, I don't know that I want to live on our message boards if, if Florida doesn't get the win on Saturday. Um, I, I called it. I called it, and, and I asked our and I asked our message board. And I asked Florida fans, "Hey, am I off base on this?" But I called it a must win. 
not in the sense that Billy's going to get fired or heads are going to roll if Tennessee wins in Gainesville on Saturday, but I view this as probably the easiest win of the rivalries, and Billy went over in the rivalries last year. Um, FSU is a top three team in the country. Georgia's doing what Georgia does. You have to go to Death Valley to play LSU. When I look at Florida's schedule, I probably circle Tennessee and say, hey, this is probably the, the most winnable one. And if Florida goes over the first two years under Billy Napier in rivalry games, you're the, the hot seat is up next year, and Florida plays 11 of 12 Power 5 teams next year. The schedule is harder next year than it is even in this year. So I looked at this game, and I thought, you're at home. You just had a pretty good crowd for, for McNeese. You're going to have a crazy crowd. You need to give Florida fans something to build on, something to hold on to. And I think we've likened uh, what Billy Napier is doing is to like a, a house flipper, and you thought you bought a good house, and then you realized – no, we have to take it down to the foundation and start building the whole thing again. That's cool, but like I need to see a model home because we need to see what you're building. Uh, construction's taking a little bit longer than we expected. So I think for Florida fans, a loss to Tennessee might be devastating, and you probably start wondering, okay, well, what is the timeline? When can we move in to this house we keep hearing is being built? Hey, Nick, I got one more question for you. Um, up front, the offensive line, I know you had to replace – at least four guys with starting experience might not have started all the time, but four guys with starting experience, of course, a high draft pick, trying to replace uh, 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 Osiris Torrance, I believe is his name. Osiris, how's, yeah. how, how's that offensive line kind of coming together, or is it like Tennessee's at this point in the season, very much a work in progress? Yeah, I think so. Austin, you can debate. Austin Barber kind of filled in for Michael Tarquin, who's now starting at USC, um, Southern Cal, uh, I think the real USC. Um, <laughs> is starting there. He got hurt at right tackle. Austin Barber, who's now playing left tackle, started a bunch of games at right tackle and then was in the mix even when Tarquin came back. He's been okay. Florida hasn't had Kingsley Aguakin, who was their starting center. He started 26 games before missing the Utah game and then missing last week against McNeese. Um, and he's kind of, you know, the quarterback of that offensive line, making calls, checks, uh, the most veteran guy they have. I would expect him to be back. He had a high ankle sprain, but he's been nursing that for about five weeks. It'll be close to six weeks by the time uh, they kick off on Saturday. Getting him back will be really good for Florida. Um, and, and then I think Florida's been okay. Maybe maybe we overhyped them a little bit um, in spring and fall. You know, there's not many bad things to report uh, when you're only talking to coaches and, and players in spring. Everyone looks like an All-American. Um, <laughs> but I think Florida Florida's offensive line needs to be challenged. Like the, the bread and butter for Florida – has to be running the football with Trevor Etienne, Montreal Johnson, and freshman running back from just up the road in Jacksonville. Trey and Webb looked really good. So Florida knows its identity. They got away from it because they got away, they got behind at Utah and the new clock rules. I think their coaches are still going to be trying to figure out, hey, if we're down 10 in the fourth quarter, is the game over? Are we going to get enough possession? So I think Florida will get back to its identity, did against McNeese, and, and they need to try to do that uh, Saturday against Tennessee. But the offensive line, I think getting Kingsley back would be big for them, um, and, and certainly from a leadership standpoint, and, and, and obviously he's a good player as well. Nick, it's big week, Tennessee and Florida down in the Swamp, a place where Tennessee hasn't won since 03, and there's been some crazy finishes down there. What do you guys have coming up this week at Gators Online for Tennessee fans might want to check into? 
yeah, I think uh, we're well, we're gonna have you on uh, our podcast, so we'll get uh, get you on. Listen, if, if if nothing else, we'll get Eric on the show, and you can come look at him uh, <laughs> on, on our site. Um, but yeah, it, it's a big week. I think it's important for both Florida and Tennessee to get wins here, um, and, and it would be huge for Tennessee. I mean, there's been some just you know, Tennessee gripping, you know, grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory in Gainesville. I know there's been some heartbreakers. Um, in recent memory so it's a huge week we'll have a ton of content history content from the florida uh tennessee rivalry i grew up during the spurrier and fillmore years that was probably the peak of it all um so yeah we'll have a a ton of content and and film breakdown stuff like that for you guys nick i appreciate it man thanks so much and uh, enjoy the week have a good one guys thanks nick uh, that is Nick De La Torre from Gators Online to kind of break us down a little bit of their preview, a little bit of the Florida Gators as Tennessee takes on Florida later this week on Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern. It's going to be on the ESPN kick for Rivalry Week, and we'll continue to break that down and preview that one all weekend long right here at VolQuest.com. Hey, when we come back, we'll answer some more of your questions. Andy Staples, 10 minutes away on 3 Personality. You know who he is. It's Andy Staples. He's going to join us here on the Rocky Top Rewind in just about 10 minutes. But first, I want to tell you guys about our friends, Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events, it shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sporting events, but not just sporting events. you got music events like concerts, comedy, theater, all that stuff near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped up for all the fun that you're going to have. Download the app and you can see things like flash deals on last-minute tickets, easy to find tickets for every event in your area. They're going to show you pictures of your tickets before you purchase so you see exactly what you're paying for. Plus, they're going to protect you with the lowest price guarantee. They even have cancellation protection such as event cancellation, job loss protection, all that and more. Uh, to help you out over there at game time. So I encourage you today to go ahead and download the game time app, create an account and use the promo code Vols, and you're going to have a $20 off your first purchase. Again, download the app today, promo code Vols, V-O-L-S, for $20 off uh, your first purchase. That's at game time. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We got more of the Rocky Top Rewind, Andy Staples in 10 minutes. That is coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind here on the VolQuest YouTube channel every Sunday night during the season, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That was Nick De La Torre from Gators Online. Does a great job. I encourage you guys this week to check in at Gators Online Injury Reports. I do a lot of my research by checking in there every Florida week, and you can too. Andy Staples coming up in about seven minutes. Uh, Brent, a lot of the conversation with Tennessee and Austin P is about the inaccuracies, the misfires, the drops, you know, the offensive woes. It's Austin P, but defense did a couple of nice things in the fourth quarter, kind of got lax a little bit. Uh, they were completely one-dimensional, so you don't want to see the high passing yards, but I thought Tennessee's defensive line played pretty well. Aaron Beasley is arguably the best player on the team, one of the best players in the conference right now, and it was good to see a lot of those players playing, and more guys like James Pierce, Joshua Joseph's getting pressure on the quarterback. Well, and, I, and I'll give this coaching staff credit, Eric. I, I thought they did a good job rotating guys and continued to try to build their depth, even early in the game when, quote, it wasn't out of reach. I mean, you got Jeremiah T. Lander. They're trying to build that linebacker depth in case they have any other injuries there or anything else that's of a concern there. Uh, they rotated at the star position. They rotated at corner. And they played a, another, you know, 12 guys up front on, on the defensive line. And, and, you know, before it got to the end. Um, too many missed tackles, particularly in the fourth quarter. I think PFF had them with 12 yesterday. 
most of those coming in the fourth quarter. Looked like they had a, a misalignment or a bust on the fourth and two on the first drive. Yeah. Um, somebody got out of a gap where it wasn't supposed to be. I don't know who, so I'm not going to speculate that. But there was a bust and some kind of a gap containment there. Um, somebody didn't feel the way that they were supposed to on that particular play. Um, and then obviously Danico Slaughter falls down and, and gives up a 50 yard touchdown. So it wasn't perfect, but again, they got after the quarterback seven sacks for a quarterback who was trying to get rid of the ball as fast as he could. Tells you Tennessee's got some speed up front. Love the way those guys are running up front. Karat Garland stood out as a guy who tracked the ball down the line of scrimmage really well. Omar, Nor- Omar Northern Norman lot is playing really fast right now. Um, so a lot of good things out of that defensive front. They'll be test this, tested this week uh, more than they've been tested by anybody thus far. Uh, so we'll see how they hold up and how they fare a- against the best offensive line that they will have played all season long. I mean, Austin P was uh, – they were patchwork. They took their center and moved him to left tackle yesterday in that game. He had never played out there before. Uh, obviously, Virginia had four new starters on their offensive line. So this defensive line is going to face a different test this week. Uh, against a Florida offensive line that's got some size and some talent. We'll see how Tennessee gets after them. Yeah, but plenty of personnel to throw at them, right? I mean, Tennessee's playing 10 to 12 guys. It's it's good to see Rodney Gardner wants to play that. And again, you look at the stat sheet, and I think it was like 260 yards passing or whatever, and, and that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. But you got to think about it. Austin P was completely one-dimensional, and they had two explosive plays. That's That's all they had all game long. One was the fourth and two, you know, quarterback run that you reference. Uh, McDonald, it looked like on tape, kind of got out of position a little bit, but nonetheless, it was 45 yards on one play. The second was the 52-yard touchdown reception. The only time Austin P found the end zone, and he can't, he can't slip, but that, that's all it was. They were in man coverage, and Nico Slaughter slipped, and he was wide open. It wasn't a bust, it wasn't anything like that. He just, he just slipped. So, again, I wasn't perfect, but I kind of liked, I, I like where this defense is headed. I, I really do, and. We were looking for a nice bounce back game for some special teams. And, you know, Charles Campbell, nobody's really talking about him right now. Josh Heupel kind of joked in post game saying, well, hey, he kicked a little bit more than we wanted him to today, but three for three uh, looked really good, uh, you know, kicking those field goals. But also, you had Jackson Ross, who responded the right way. Josh Turbeville, only one kick out of bounds, five touchbacks. Overall, I think special teams had a nice day. Yeah, I think so. You know, they kicked the ball. The specialists kicked the ball better. I think Charles Campbell's been steady, Eddie. You can tell he's got a ton of experience. Jackson Ross is, um, you know, still getting his feet under him. He'll be nervous. That first one, everybody, every Tennessee fan will be holding their breath Saturday night when he kicks that first one, and, and we'll see how that one goes. But, um, you know, they, they did some good things. They, they did some other things that has to get corrected. Um you know, special teams, they did good things, but continue with some defensive stuff they've got to correct. I don't think they've done a lot of crazy stuff up front, Eric. They haven't played a lot of games, a lot of twists. They blitzed a couple of times there and basically got home on two of them with sacks, but they, they haven't brought a lot of pressure and, and really got after guys and heated teams up that way. They've kind of just let their four rush the passer. So we'll see how they balance that out this week. Do they bring guys? Do they you know, do they have to? Do they mix it up? Can they mix it up with that front four, get home? Um, you know, we'll see this week. Kamal Haddon, you know, is is a guy that's feast or famine, right? Um, he turned his head around, he got an interception. He didn't yeah. turn his head around and he got a PI. He should have gotten um, an unsportsmanlike penalty for celebration. Yeah. You can't intercept a ball and run 50 yards down the end and spin it in the end zone and celebrate. This is not the NFL where you run to the camera and pose for a pitcher. Uh, you just can't do that. I mean, you can't put yourself in a situation where 
you could have potentially gotten a flag in that spot. Now that officiating crew was terrible. That's another hour's worth of show we can dive into. At it's a one of my big three. Go read it, VolQuest.com. But you know they weren't very good. But they, I mean, you got to be better than that when you intercept the ball, right? Like, come on, you know, be be there before handle those things. I thought he played the screens pretty well. I thought he was pretty physical playing the screens. So it's a little bit feast or famine with him. There need to be more feast than there is famine with him this week against Florida because there'll be some man coverage out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was texting you, and uh, no doubt about it, his his pass interferences, good calls, he knew it, I knew it, you knew it, everybody in the stadium knew it. Um, he's got to get his head around. And, you know, we, we were talking last night, it's like, don't you think Florida, if they need a play, if they need a chunk, they need a first down, they're just going to underthrow something, ride to Kamal Haddon because you know he's going to run through the receiver. But when he gets his head around, I mean, he, he had a couple PBUs, he had the interception, I thought he battled on what should have been a catch and a fumble and a turnover for Tennessee. You know, he punched that ball loose. I, he made mistakes, but I thought that he battled. And, you know, that that's more than you could say for him at points in times last year, I feel like. I, I thought that I, I could see some things from him yesterday, and Tennessee is going to be depending on him next week and, and all those guys in the secondary. Yeah, and to answer Brandon's question there about why does Willie Martinez teach his guy to fa- guys to face guard, he doesn't teach them to face guard unless they're in a trail position. If you're beat and you're you're playing catch up, he doesn't want you turning and looking at the ball and giving up ground that way. Where Kamal is, Kamal's not trusting that he's in better position than what he is. I mean, he's in good yeah. enough position. He's not trailing. He's almost stride for stride. He's not over top of the receiver necessarily, but he's right there. Read his eyes, turn your head, and make a play on the ball. Okay, because you're not in a trail position with those plays there. So it's, you know, it's taught if you get beat, you know, keep your head down and try to run through and and time it that way as a face guard. But if you're not in a true trail position, flip your hips, turn your head and make a play. And and that's what, um, you know, that's what Kamal had needs to do. He did that on the interception. He he was in a position to do that twice against Virginia and chose not to do it. Now he got PBUs because he batted the ball away. But if he'd have turned his head, he had a chance to intercept both those balls against Virginia. That's a confidence thing. He's just kind of turned his head, knowing he's in a good, a good enough position in phase with the receiver to make it there. Going to hit two more real quick before we get in our chat with Andy Staples. So let's get these rapid fire. Herb wants to know chances Cooper Mays plays this week. Uh, Brent, he was doing some things on the side. He returned to the practice field. He dressed out, didn't do anything in pregame warmups. He's doing more now. It's about getting acclimated. Uh, we'll see if they uh, want to try him for Florida this week, but I think that you know, he's getting closer now than he ever has been. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a doctor's decision too. I mean, yeah. is he healed up enough that there's no risk for any kind of re-injury at the, after the procedure? I can tell you this, Josh Heupel is going to talk all week long like he's going to be able to play um, on Thursday when he meets the media for a final time. It's going to be, hey, we'll make that decision on Friday with him uh, and, and we'll go from there. So I don't think we'll have a definitive answer. Uh, we don't get to watch practice. So we don't know how much he's going to do. We just know he's done more in the last three or four days than he's done since the procedure. And then finally, we'll go to Donovan for another Super Chat. Donovan, really appreciate the Super Chats here tonight. Uh, D. Williams, he's so electric with the ball in his hands. He will be a big key for Tennessee in field position this week. It feels like he could go score at any time. Absolutely. Any, any football game, you want that to be a key component, but also – when you're on the road, when you're in a hostile environment, a place you had won in a while, if special teams comes through for you, that, that, that'd be huge. And especially a guy like D. Williams who can flip the field and just like Donovan says, can score at any point in time. Be a big week to see if, Don, that, uh, if D. Williams can help Tennessee in the return game. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I've not done enough research on Florida's punting game at this point to know if they've got yeah. a guy who hangs it up five or six seconds and everything has to be a fair catch or if he's going to get a real opportunity to, to return it. If he gets the ball in his hands and an opportunity to return it, he is certainly capable of going to the house from any position on the football field. All right, let's step aside. Let's bring in Andy Staples uh, here to take us to the finish line here on this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Again, to the Rocky Top Rewind final segment here on a Sunday night. I appreciate each and every single one of you guys for being with us here today, recapping all that was Tennessee and Austin P, and also looking ahead, Brent Hubs, to Tennessee and Florida. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Gators online earlier. appreciate them. It's a big week coming up. And we thought we'd uh, kind of roll out the red carpet and bring on a, a very special guest here to get us ready for Tennessee and Florida. Yeah, Andy Staples of On3, who is, um, he's the Cadillac. He's the Cadillac of the On3 uh, shows and video awards. If, you, if you've not been watching his shows, you should do that if you love college football. Uh, it's about not just the SEC, it's about all things college football. But Andy's got a unique perspective to the Tennessee-Florida game. Lived in Gainesville much of his life, has covered it from both angles has covered it nationally as well. Andy, good to see you. Thanks for being on the show. I, I'm going to ask you this one right out of the gate. When your, your first day or two at On3, I did an interview with you, and you told me you were driving the Joe Milton fan club. You've yes, seen sir. Two weeks. Where, where are, are you in the passenger seat, the back seat, or are you still driving heading into week three? I'm a little concerned that my uh, my fenders have fallen off and my, my tailpipe's dragging. When, it, when he was one, was it one of eleven to start the game? I was, I was very, very concerned. I, I, you know, we JD Piquel, who who also does shows here at On Three, we did a, a segment on my show called Nightmare Scenarios, and it was basically this was the before the week of the first games. We said, what can happen, win or lose, that will send a particular message board into meltdown mode? And what we said for VolQuest was. Joe Milton airmails three would-be touchdown passes, and they start chanting, Nico, Nico, Nico. And it didn't feel like that happened in the Virginia game, but it definitely felt like the Austin P game was not Joe's finest moment. So uh, I could I could imagine it was a little, little nerve-wracking there in the first half. Yeah, it was certainly not um, a ton of fun, uh, and, and Tennessee fans have lots of questions. Florida fans have lots of questions. <laughs> As I mentioned, you've known this rivalry for a long time. Do you remember one like this? I think you can say this for about a lot of teams in the league right now, Andy, but do you remember this this rivalry game with both fan bases going, I'm not exactly sure two weeks in what we have in front of us? I think some of the Butch McElwain games were like that. You know, I, the, the one that ended, and, and it's funny because all the years just run together now, but the one that ended with the the bomb from Will Greer to Tyree Cleveland. Like, I remember both, yeah, both fan bases were were just kind of out of sorts, didn't know what the heck, heck was going on. Now, this is 2015. This was the Will Greer one. So, okay, yeah, and um, – I just remember thinking this is this is one of the worst played games of football I've ever seen in my life. And and then that last play happens and the Florida fans are and, and but it it didn't. I remember writing a column after that game going, you think Jim McElwain's a genius and you think Butch Jones is a dunce, but if things had happened just, you know, one play different, it's flipped. So are they really that far apart? And 
sure enough, they both wind up getting fired pretty much the same time. So uh, it, it, it really was, you know, it, it, I think that period was the one where people were just not like, now I will say the, the 2016 Florida, Tennessee game where Tennessee won in Knoxville, that was the high point of the book. Well, the, I guess the next week when they beat Georgia was probably the high point of the Butch Jones era. But other than that, I think the the middle of that decade was both programs just going, what are we even doing here? Well, and, and, and Tennessee's got a better feeling, obviously, with the year they had last year. They have expectations. Florida's still trying to figure things out. Um, Tennessee fans are a little more – I mean, listen, a week ago Tennessee fans had this thing locked down. I mean, they were going to roll into the swamp and take over the swamp. Uh, now they've got questions. Now they've got concerns. What, what do you what do you make of Florida two weeks in? It looked like they cleaned up a lot of administrative stuff, Andy, and, and got yeah. a little more organized looking. Now, McNeese is not very good. We know that. But what do you make of Florida two weeks in? I I don't know what to make of them, Brent. I, I know the, the fan base is pretty apathetic. They, they, they're not expecting much. Like, if Florida can win six or seven games this year, they're going to be pretty happy with that, especially if the younger players are are better. Uh, the Utah game did not inspire a lot of confidence because of what you said, the, the stuff they had to clean up. That actually could have been a one-score game in the fourth quarter, but for a lot of the administrative coaching mistakes that were made. And that, in year two, is where the Florida people are like, okay, wait a second, you've been telling us that Billy Napier has this incredible attention to detail, and they're having two number threes on the field on the punt return team. Like, what, what's going on here? Are we being sold a bill of goods? And that's the part that they, they've got to show that they have fixed. And if they do that against Tennessee, I, they can be competitive in the game and, and have a chance to win if Tennessee's not playing well. But talent-wise, Tennessee's better right now. You know, Tennessee's got a lot better weapons than Florida has offensively. They should be able to come into Gainesville and win this game. And, you know, it's one of those deals where I think if Florida did somehow steal a win, the Tennessee fan base just – that's a meltdown moment right there. That's all you, you got to win this because, you know, with Tennessee, Heupel overachieves the first year. Then last year you see what it could be. And it's like, okay, now you got to take that next step. Any sort of step back is, is unacceptable. And in this case specifically, it's not acceptable because Florida is not a team that should beat them right now. This roster is not where it should be to, to be able to beat them. Like, here's what happened. I, I'm thinking if Tennessee goes in and does what they they probably should be able to do in this game, and they beat Florida handily, if you're Billy Napier, you may go, I'm going to play the young guys and just show that my recruits are better than the ones I inherited and hope they get better as the season goes on and there's hope at the end of this season. But if he can steal a win in this thing, it just takes so much pressure off of him. You know, Josh Heupel, if he loses this, people will be mad, but he's already had two really good seasons given, you know, based, you know, based against the expectations. And he could still have a very good year this year. This would be a massive win for Florida. For Tennessee, I think it might just be a speed bump if they don't win it. Andy, what do you think Florida's game plan is going to be? I mean, obviously, I know you're not sitting in those meeting rooms and everything, but with, with attacking Joe Milton, you think they're going to kind of, Try to beg Joe Milton to say, "All right, you got to throw it over the top to, to, to win this football game." We're, you know, we're not going to let you run and win this football game. We're going to make Joe Milton win this football game because the last two weeks, 
I mean, they're just letting Tennessee just run the football, and that's what Tennessee's mm-hmm. done and found success with. Well, based on what we've seen from Austin Armstrong so far, they like to heat people up. And he's he's their first-year defensive coordinator, young guy. He does seem to like to to bring bring a lot of pressure, which against Joe Milton might be the way to do it. You know, try to force him to make mistakes. Because Florida, their best shot is short fields and quick momentum shifts. Like, that's that's what would allow them to win the game. If Tennessee can run the ball and, and control the clock, that, that's a bad, bad deal for Florida because they're not very explosive on offense. They're the ones that if, ideally will will be control. If, if they have played the game they want to play, they're controlling the ball on the ground. They're controlling the clock. And then you, you put pressure on the opponent to go score, and maybe they make another mistake. But the thing that, that you've seen with Florida also is like the first play out of the gate against Utah was a massive coverage bust. You cannot do that against Tennessee. No. They're going to burn you every single time. You know, Tennessee's offense is built to create those kinds of busts. Like you have to be on guard against them. And so if, if you don't have that sewn up, and I think for the most part, Florida played better after that. Now, what, what people forget is there was a trick play in the Utah game where the receiver who was throwing the ball, or maybe it was the running back throwing the ball, he just airmailed it a little bit, but it was it was perfectly set up. The receiver was wide open. It was a touchdown. So Florida was was not perfect on defense even after that. But you know that was overshadowed by all the other mistakes that they were making. So that's that's the key for them is is do you avoid that and Tennessee scoring on these quick strikes because Florida's got to work hard to score these days, guys. Tennessee can score like lightning, and that just demoralizes a team that has to work that hard to score so much talk is on tennessee's offense and and the tempo and airing it out and all that type of stuff but tennessee's defense through two games and again not the greatest competition here but tennessee's defense appears to be making an effort to play more guys healthy Mm -hmm. rotation the front seven a cornerback at star maybe not a safety but aaron beasley has come in and, and really kind of taken this team by storm what have you seen from Tennessee's defense and where all the concentration is always on Josh Heupel's offense? feels like this defense can be something that makes Tennessee a pretty solid football team this year. It's hard to tell much from the Austin P game, but I thought in the Virginia game, they looked really fast off the edges. Yeah. And, and against a team like Florida, which has, you know, against Utah was not blocking very well and was, was not giving Graham Mertz a lot of time. That's a scary thought for, for Graham Mertz because he's not – he, he's actually a pretty decent athlete, but he's not Anthony Richardson back there. Like he's not going to take off and, and run for a 70 yard touchdown. If you flush him out of the pocket, they've got to protect him better than they have. And we'll see the, the question I think, and this is, this is a big question, kind of an existential question for Florida all season is do they have the personnel to actually do that against good sec defenses? Like, can they protect against a team like Kentucky Can they protect against a team like Tennessee we don't know yet. You know, they're playing Utah, which has a very good defensive line, but also had some injuries right. and, and was rotating some younger guys in and, and some newer guys. So that's the part that I think if you're if you're Florida, you're very worried about is how does that line hold up against Tennessee, especially if Tennessee can get pressure with four? Because if they're getting pressure with four, that means you can really mix the picture up for Graham Mertz. And you can create those mistakes I was talking about Florida trying to create. 
All right, Andy, the rest of the country right now is licking their chops uh, at the SEC because they get tired of the whole SEC mantra out there um, with the, the, the struggles that this league has had with Power 5 teams outside the conference. Just kind of quick hitter here, quick thought. What do you make of the league in general two weeks in? And maybe what do you make of, of college football? I mean, are we really seeing the talent pool because of the portal even out to a degree? What What do you make of the start of, of college football, specifically the SEC? It really does feel like it's evened out more. And I, I went to the Florida State LSU game in Orlando, and I had seen Florida State practice about a week and a half earlier. My thought coming out of the practice was, okay, they have some really special players. Like you knew Keon Coleman, the receiver they got from Michigan State, was going to be awesome. You know Jared Verse, who's going to be a first-round draft pick as an edge rusher. He was great. But the question was, like, how's their offensive line hold up against a very good LSU defensive front? Because their offensive linemen, some of them may wind up in NFL camps, but they're not going to be high draft picks. So how, how are they going to hang? Well, they hung very well. And, you know, some of those guys, they got like they have a transfer from Charlotte. They have a transfer from UT, UTSA. And they've done a good job of plugging spots. I think Florida State's probably the best example of a team that use the transfer portal to get significantly better because my thought was you can use it to plug some holes but if you'd like to be a true national championship contender that only comes from recruiting through high school that that that's recruiting and developing the way georgia does it the way alabama's done it the way ohio state does it and now i'm not so sure now now i'm wondering if could a florida state hang with some of these teams because the way they kicked the crap out of lsu in the second half of that game was pretty shocking to me. And then you see Duke, which bolstered itself through the transfer portal, looking as athletic as Clemson. And there's something to be said for, no, this person wasn't a five-star recruit out of high school, but they're a grown-ass 22-year-old who can play and has proven themselves at, at either the group of five or power five level. And you're like, okay, well, maybe you can make your team significantly better that way. So there's not as much of an excuse for when you take over a roster, it, you don't need as many years as, as people are going to say, which that brings you back to the Billy Napier point. Cause you know, I, I look at Hugh freeze, what he's got to do at Auburn right now. My guess is his roster flip happens a lot faster than Billy Napier's did. And they're competitive sooner. The, the, is the league in general, is it down? Andy, is it too early to tell? Is it just a league that's void of, of great quarterback play right now? What, what, yeah, what is the league? It's definitely missing the great quarterback play. I don't think the blocking's that great in the league right now. You know, Alabama, again, has some issues. And, and I think Texas's defensive line is going to prove out to be pretty good. And, like, when you see the NFL draft next year, some of those dudes are going to be taking, you know, second, third type, round type players, which Texas has not had before. But Alabama – struggling a little bit south carolina looking horrendous trying to block north carolina florida not being able to block utah i i, I think the offensive line play might be a little bit down not just the quarterback play and, and like spencer rattler you, you go back to the north carolina game spencer rattler actually played really well i talked to jim Nagy from the senior bowl and so spencer i think was sacked eight or nine times and, and jim said he could have been sacked 20 times he just played well enough to avoid the other 11 and so I, I do think 
line play and like LSU against Florida State. They didn't hold Will Campbell, who we all think is is going to be a first round draft pick. Like Jared Verse just ran the arc on Will Campbell. There was a play where there was, he didn't put a move on him. <laughs> he just outran him around the corner and crushed Jaden Daniels. Like I never would have thought that was going to happen. And Jared Verse is a potential first round draft pick, but when when he's going up against the the tackle that we think is one of the best in the SEC, you just don't expect to see that. Well, Andy, I know you're a busy guy. You got a show uh, here on a Sunday night as well, but I uh, go live at different portions throughout the week. Uh, first season with on three. It's been a great success so far. What do you got coming up on your show? And what are some of the things you're working on this week entering week number three of the college football season? Well, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time, which I know overlaps with you guys. So yeah. uh, watch VolQuest first, and then we're on yeah, demand yeah right after that. So you can just go to my, like you go to my Twitter feed, Andy underscore staples. I'll have the link up there. You can click on the YouTube link or subscribe to the podcast version and just have it in your phone. When you wake up tomorrow morning, that's the the other easy way to do it. But we're leading with Mel Tucker, who's been administratively suspended. And, and I think is probably co coached his last game at Michigan state that that bomb dropped about midnight Easter time on Sunday morning and just kind of what that means. And, are we are we in an era when schools will do whatever they can to get out of that kind of contract? You know, how do you is this the greatest bag fumble of all time? I, I don't know. I mean, this this could wind up costing him eighty million dollars. And then we, we're talking to Tim Watts from Bama Online about what went wrong for Bama against Texas because I you know we could ask about we, we could talk about Texas, but I think Texas feels pretty good right now. Alabama has a lot of questions to answer, mm -hmm. and so. We, we talked to Tim about that. And then as the week goes on, uh, there's a lot I want to get into. Like, uh, we got to talk about Iowa. You know, the, the the drive for 325. I think that contract with their offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, where he has to average 25 points a game or he loses his job is brilliant marketing. Because now I have to watch every Iowa game. And in case you didn't know, he's six points off the pace right now. They've only scored 44 points this season so he he's he's already behind the eight ball but that that one i mean the coach prime thing like the colorado thing is fascinating to me because we we always talk about coach prime and the roster flip and everything he was saying but now that we've seen deon sanders team play a couple games i think they're on the verge of something really big maybe not this season but i think he's going to build something really big either at colorado or somewhere else where after they steal him. Well, the best thing he did that nobody took, that nobody gave him any credit for, because it was all about Louie and I'm coming and all that, was who he brought with him on his staff. Mm -hmm. That's a good football staff that he yes. has put together at Colorado that nobody has talked about because it's all about the persona of, of, of him. But you go peel the curtain back and look at what he has working around them. That's a good mm -hmm. football staff, Andy. Well, well, yeah, Sean, Sean Lewis, their offensive coordinator, is a great example of that. He, he was the head coach at Kent State. Kent State had this old AD whose philosophy was, I'm going to make as much money as possible from these body bag games. And I don't care if I get, you know, if my team gets the crap kicked out of it before we go into MAC play. So, like, Sean Lewis's team never really got a chance to, to be its best. Like, last year, they had to play at Washington, at Georgia, and at Oklahoma in the non-conference. But Sean Lewis running that 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 old Baylor offense was a wizard at that. And you're like, okay, you put that 
in charge of the offense, give him a quarterback like Shadur Sanders and some some weapons on the outside, he's going to figure out what to do with it. And he sure has. <laughs> well, anyway, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll have to get you back on the uh, Rocky Top Rewind or a VolQuest podcast here pretty soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Uh, that is Andy Staples, new with us over here at On3, a national show, does an awesome job. Just like you said, subscribe to uh, the On3 YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Andy Staples show uh, so you can get a direct download. You can listen to it going to work and all that. But all that after you consume all the VolQuest.com content, right, Brent? Absolutely. And we've got plenty of content. It's a huge week. We'll be on the lookout for um, some, some promotional stuff coming down the pike, but obviously – this is a huge week. Lots of storylines, lots of things to cover. Um, Josh Heupel will be dialed in. It, you know, he's handled big games really well since he's been at yep. Tennessee in terms of having his team ready to play. But there'll be lots to cover this week before Tennessee travels to Gainesville on Friday to get ready to play the Gators on Saturday night. Yep, we'll have VolQuest podcast on Tuesday. We'll have the chat coming up tomorrow night, first glance. We'll have matchups. We'll have all of our different audio coverage. Uh, we'll have the Rockies Top Roundtable. It's rivalry week rivalry week say that 10 times fast rivalry week tennessee and florida and the best coverage to get you set for tennessee florida is right here at volquest.com tennessee a winner over austin p 30 to 13 what will it look like in the swap next week we'll find out we'll preview it all right here at volquest.com appreciate you guys for tuning in to another edition of the iraqi top rewind big thanks to spivey king and spivey llp for making all this coverage possible 